0: This is Mindset for Success, a We Global Studios podcast hosted by Dr. Leslie Knudsen. We explore the familiar, but not often talked about, deep-rooted emotional experiences that successful females have when setting up their businesses, and we learn how they overcame them. I'm so excited today to have Dr. Francois Booker-Drew here as my guest. Thank you so much for joining me.
1: Thank you for having me today. I'm excited.
0: As you know, it takes a lot to be a successful female entrepreneur businesswoman. And it's not just about being bright, but all those other stuff. And sometimes it's hard for women to achieve because there's so much going on. And some of their background noise might get involved in stopping them from maybe getting to where they want to get. So I um, am looking sort of to figure out a little bit with you what's been successful in terms of that background noise. And if you could start, I'm going to say a little bit about your background. Dr. Francois Booker-Drew serves as vice president of her community affairs for the State Fair of Texas, co-founder of Heritage Giving Circle, diversity crew member, I'm sorry, partner, And she's an adjunct professor at Tulane University. In addition, she's the author of three books, provides consulting for national nonprofits, and has addressed audiences around the world. Thank you. Would you share with our listeners a little bit about your growing up and some of the stuff that you experienced?
1: You know, I grew up in Shreveport, Louisiana, and I was very fortunate young because I saw a lot of entrepreneurs and I saw people that were landscapers and my dad, um, had gone to college at Paul Quinn and, um, he couldn't really get a good job paying the amount of money that he wanted as a PE teacher. So my dad started waiting tables. He had an amazing mentor who taught him the business of starting a restaurant. And Mm. my dad, when I was 12, opened his own restaurant. I mean, for decades had this business. And for me, that was the beginning of seeing the behind the scenes of having your own business. And so that kind of entrepreneurial spirit has just stuck with me. Um, And then I also had the opportunity to see people who were just not only entrepreneurs, but philanthropists. And so I watched people who had very little resource in this town, you know, that that wasn't a, a metropolitan area like a Dallas or a Seattle. But um, these folks pulled their resources and and made a difference. And I think both of those have been the inspiration for who I am and what I do today.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I remember your mom made gift fruit baskets <laughs> with you for Christmas. So you really, it started at home too.
1: Yes. I, I witnessed my mom, you know, taking food to senior citizens and she would always make me go to the store with her and buy that fruit and get cards just mm-hmm. to be able to in- encourage people. And, and mm-hmm. I didn't realize at the time, the seeds that were being sown.
0: Tell me a little bit about your colorful career. And some of the mentors that kind of helped you, a lot of the mentors and the people that helped you. And if you could talk a little bit about why that's important to who you are today. You know, I was so
1: fortunate that there were a number of people very young who took me under their wing you know, from my third grade teacher, Miss Barrow, who saw something in me to, you know, one of the fencing teachers who was over um, student activities at my high school. And then there was a man out on my college campus named Zeb Strong. And Zeb really changed my life. Zeb saw possibilities in me that I couldn't see in myself. And so he started encouraging me to speak at conferences. And he started making me go around and talk and talk. And I was just like, I don't know if I want to do this, but because I adored him as a person, he was a man with such character and integrity. And Zed passed away a couple of years ago and it was devastating for me, mm. but being at his funeral to see, I mean, the number of people that he impacted inspired me and really helped me understand, you know, a couple of things. One it's the power of mentors and mentoring. And I think that's critical that to be able to have some level of success. You need people around you who speak into your life and who encourage you, but they also challenge you. They can't stay as cheerleader. And that's fine to have those people too. But I think the other thing that Zeb demonstrated for me was beyond the mentor, he was a sponsor. So this was the person who was saying my name and door and spaces and behind closed doors that I wasn't there, but he was advocating for me and going, she needs to do this. My first job out of college, was because of him, because he put me in a position with people and said, she can do this. And he had me teaching diversity classes to these high school students. And I joke because in retrospect, I should not have been teaching that stuff. I didn't know a fraction of what I know now. But it was because he said, you can do this. Well, I didn't realize that people were watching. And that's one thing I often tell people is you always have to show up. As your best self, because you never know who's paying attention right. to you. Until because of that, the lady called me. I was actually on my way to another job, got in a car accident, and once I get home from the hospital, the phone rings. This is before answer machines and all this stuff, so I'm dating myself. And <laughs> she calls and says, uh, "I want to offer you this job, which was double the one that was on the way to." And it was nothing but a gift because she saw me in action and she saw how committed I was. And it ended up being the springboard for so many of the other things that, that we don't have enough Mm -hmm. time to
0: talk about. Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs) Um, So were you somebody who always felt the power of relationships or it came to you later in life?
1: I always knew that people were important. I don't think I had the language at the time to understand that I was building social capital, you know, which is so much of my research interest. But, you know, I didn't realize that um, what I was doing was building a network. And so one of the things that I've always been intentional about is keeping in touch with people. So all those folks from high school, I would send notes while I was in college, hey, I'm doing this, you know, but not knowing what that was going to do. And even now I try to continue taking relationships from past experiences and bringing them forward because you just don't know what those doors may end up being later on. And I hate when people come to me last minute and go, I need your help. And I haven't talked to you in five years. And I'm going, Where have you been? So at the time, I didn't realize it. But I think my parents really modeled for me the power of being consistent in relationships. And I think that that has been for me, you know, a a real foundation on um, how I I view them. I think relationships are critical to any entrepreneur's success. You can't do this stuff in isolation and in silos. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. For those women who are listening that maybe don't feel that they have enough ability to get social capital, what would you say to them in terms of that background noise stuff?
1: I think you have to make it a priority. I think one, my mother would always say, you never know when you're entertaining angels. And that for me has resonated because I never know what a person may bring to my life. And so sometimes it's so easy to get up on titles and want to bring these people who are perceived to be important. The folks who really helped me haven't always been those people in those positions, but been connected to those people. Mm -hmm. So don't dismiss small beginnings. Everyone has the possibility to do something to enhance your journey. So that's one. I think the other thing is, how do you use your existing network and begin to ask them who's missing from my life? And who are people that you think can really speak into where I need to go? So I think that's important. And then how do you use your LinkedIn and your your social media to find very interesting people? And in the era of Zoom right now, you can connect to almost anyone that you want to. So how do you send notes to people and do these virtual coffees that, you know, twice a month you're meeting someone new? If you think about it, if you meet two people a month, And you get connected to their network by the end of the year, just with that small amount, that can be transformative Mm -hmm. for your business, for your own personal enhancement.
0: Mm -hmm. Have you always been somebody who felt like she fit in?
1: No. Oh, my God. Um, I always thought I was something was wrong, you know, Um, and it was weird because very young I was bullied profusely. And so that was the beginning of me feeling like something was wrong because it was a group of girls. And I'll say it also started me having trust issues with women because of what happened growing up. Um, But I had to change my mindset about how I saw myself. And I think when I did that, my mother says, she goes, you have the most amazing friends. Um, And I found a bunch of other people who don't always feel like they fit in too, but they Mm. do amazing work. So I've learned that your tribe is there. Um, And when you're kind of this oddity and and you stand out, I think that's an asset because people remember you. I think about my name and when someone hears it, people do not forget it. And I think recognizing that there is a power and being the person that doesn't fit in. That's a superpower.
0: Yeah. So how did you change your mindset? You know, I started investing
1: more in me. And, and what I wanted to attract, I tried to develop that in myself. So if I wanted people to be kind, even though there were people who took advantage of it, I don't want to get that twisted at all. I also had to be kind and develop boundaries. I think it's a both and. I, I think that for many of us, we think, well, it has to be this extreme. You can be kind and compassionate and generous and receive that from people and still have boundaries where you can protect yourself from people who take advantage of that because those people are gonna exist. But I think, you know, for, and I tell my daughter this, I think we live in a world where we spend so much time on this either or that we don't recognize that both and really you know, happens all the time that there are these multiple realities that coexist and you can have the wonderful people that are in your life. And there can also be those times when it doesn't, you know, work out that way. It doesn't mean that you're bad. It's at both and operating and that's okay. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. When we spoke earlier, um, you spoke that money was something that you were scared of growing up. Oh God, Yes. And how were you able to come through the other side of that working in a philanthropic um, career where sometimes your services are considered, you should do it for free.
1: Yeah. You know, I was raised with a father who believed to pay himself first and then everybody else, whatever happened. I did not realize until I got a lot older that money is really a, a, a issue of one it's resource. And I think sometimes we see it as an end. It's a resource. It's a tool. But I also didn't recognize that money also has a relationship to character and integrity. And that so often, you know, you think, well, I'm going to just get this credit and do whatever I want with it. But other people are trusting you to use that money wisely. And so I think changing my approach around it, because very young, I was reckless. I remember getting a credit card and running it up and then calling my parents and going, will you pay for this? And they laughed, I think, for 10 minutes nonstop on the phone. Like, you're an idiot. We're not doing that. And I learned some valuable lessons as a result of it. And so I began to even, you know, change the way I saw money because I was afraid of it. For me, it represented bad things happen. And, you know, because I saw that with my family, I think for me now, understanding that it is a resource, and that um, you, you have to have, again, boundaries in place for it to, to work for you. But I think it's also knowing your own value and worth. And I didn't know how to ask for that in the beginning. Mm-hmm. You know, so when people were first coming to me, I was like, they're giving me an opportunity. And I remember one client I had, my rate kept coming down and down because the amount of work that she was asking me to do. And she was renegotiating my contract. And I was sitting there horrified about that. And it was at that time I learned all money is not good money. There are some contracts that you have to look at and go, it's not worth it for the amount of time that I'm going to put into this. I'm not doing it. And you can do some things free, but you have to have boundaries and and it has to be a win-win. If you're walking away and there is not anything that you're getting out of it, why would you do that? You, You want to be able to be charitable. But even in being charitable, you have to recognize your own boundaries because otherwise you don't help other people if they don't see the investment that you're making in them you end up harming people because they don't understand that this is quality. And just as you will pay for shoes and bags and all those things, you can pay for this service to be able to help you do whatever it is you need to do. So it goes back to that that boundary that you have to set up to be successful and, and, and having boundaries on not only relationships, but how you see money.
0: So it's a resource also because it takes care of you. Yes. And if you can take care of you, then you're better able to sell your take services care. to somebody else.
1: And and you are able to help other people within a reasonable frame. But ultimately, the goal is we don't have these gifts and talents just to squander them. The goal mm-hmm. is is to be able to do well, that ultimately you're able to help other people in the process.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have you ever experienced self-doubt? Oh, my God. And so... And if so, what did you do? Um, it, You know, sometimes get
1: um some Haagen-Dazs ice cream and, <laughs> and, and, and sit up and then complain about how much I'm gaining eating Haagen-Dazs. Yeah, uh, you have those moments where you question yourself and your ability. I think that's normal. I think it's going back, though, you know, to your tribe. How do you make sure that you have the right people around you who not just go in the pity party with you? You need those folks every once in a while, but you need people to say, get your butt up. Mm -hmm. It's time to go back to work. You've cried enough about it. But we all are going to have those moments because sometimes when you're in business, especially, and it's growing, you're walking in a new territory. And so even with asking for what you're worth, um, even with, you know, figuring out um, what projects you want to take on, you sometimes go, God, that, me? you want me to do this? I think you have to be willing to take the risk on yourself. I tell my daughter all the time, if you're not willing to bet on you, who else is going to bet on you? You got to be willing Mm -hmm. to take the risk, even in Mm -hmm. Mm self-doubt.
0: When you felt misunderstood, how have you tried to change your mindset around that to be able to be understood without letting the past baggage kind of get involved? Pride, anger, I don't know.
1: I I think you have to work through the past stuff to be effective in your present. And so sometimes what we do is we put those emotions on a shelf. And I think when those emotions come up, I think it's a great time to wrestle with where this is coming from. Mm -hmm. So as my anxiety would show up around money, I learned to stop and go, why is this bothering me? And begin to unpack it because otherwise that stuff becomes not just a a piece of luggage, you're carrying a busload of stuff and you never get to where you want to go until Mm -hmm. you begin to start unpacking that stuff. And Mm -hmm. so when I have felt misunderstood, what I try to do, especially if there's a level of relationship and investment, it's an opportunity to listen and try to get a better understanding of why someone felt that way or saw that about me. And, And sometimes they may be correct. And sometimes they may not, and I think it's an opportunity for growth. So what I have learned is sometimes we can over personalize situations when the reality is is that there are often all these different pieces that are at work. Quickly, you know, there's a book that I love called The Artistry of Leadership, and they talk about these four frames that exist. You know, especially in the workplace, they talk about power, and they talk about human relations and structure, and you know, and culture. And all those things are at work. And quite often when we're misunderstood, it's Mm -hmm. because one of those frames is operating and we're putting a different frame on it. Mm -hmm. And so that's where feelings get hurt. So it's being aware of what you're dealing with and then responding accordingly.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What's difficult about rising to a challenge that you feel like you're not able, you're not capable of? And how can you turn that around?
1: Um, for me, I'm a person of faith. So I really believe in prayer and meditating. And so when I find myself in situations that are very difficult for me, um, I have to pause and really begin to step back and and take some time to reflect um, that that is always so important before I move into making decisions mm-hmm. Um And so I try to be a person who spends a lot of time reflecting before I make decisions. Now I won't allow myself to become immobilized and there's a difference. I think sometimes, you know, there's paralysis of analysis. And so Mm -hmm. I try to be very mindful and and balance and you'll notice balance is huge for me. So even Mm -hmm. in those moments where I feel um, that way, I have to step back and, um, process. And and I'm a planner. So even when I have those moments of not being sure, I think it's important to come up with, you know, your, it doesn't have to be this 10 year plan. I do those too, but I also do these 30, 60, 90 days of how do I overcome whatever this is and begin mm-hmm. to do these small steps to see if I'm actually making the progress that I want that's measurable and bite-sized.
0: Mm-hmm. 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 Believe it or not. We're towards the end of our podcast. And I want to ask you one last question, which is, do you think that your upbringing helped or hindered who you are? It
1: depends what day you ask me that on. In all honesty, I think it helped. Mm -hmm. I I think being from the deep South, um, there were a lot of obstacles as a Black woman. Um, And I saw a lot of racism and sexism and ageism when I was young and even classism. But I chose to allow those things to serve as fuel. Um, And that's not to say that everybody does that because those obstacles can be traumatic. They are. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same time, I think having those experiences just made me want to go harder. And, mm-hmm. and drive harder so that other people don't have to go through those things that what I can do is serve as a bridge and that younger generations and I mentor a lot of young people that younger generations don't have to suffer in the same way so I think it helped me to be able to help other people
0: and it comes sort of out of the bullet being bullet experience too because you turned that around yeah and you but, came out and said as awful as all that is I'm gonna have I'm gonna change my mindset
1: and that is the key. I think with anything, it starts with your mind and your heart. Your thinking is so powerful. And, you know, as much as we talk about external influences and those do have impact, there is so much power that all of us have mm-hmm. that when we tap into that, even in the worst conditions, you can turn
0: things around. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. If our audience want to find you, how can they reach out and find you? I am on LinkedIn, which I spend a lot of time there
1: at uh, Frostwa Booker Drew. And then I'm on Instagram at Dr. Frostwa.
0: This podcast is brought to you by We Global Studios, the first startup innovation studio and digital DIY startup platform for women entrepreneurs around the world. For more information on our guests, this podcast, and many other female founder programs, please visit weglobalstudios.com. I'm your host, Dr. Leslie Knutson. Please drop me a line at mindsetforsuccess at weglobalstudios.com. See you next week.